curious what the idea of co-responsibility for the church's being and acting might mean for both the laity and ordained. Join us for an academic and pastoral conference at Notre Dame this March, March 4th to 6th, to explore this idea further. For more details and a complete list of speakers, visit mcgrath.nd.edu slash co-responsible. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This week, we're dedicating the entire episode to a developing story about a controversial new book on priestly celibacy, written by Cardinal Robert Serra with a contribution from Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from Chile, New York, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny but chilly Rome, Colleen. We have a big story to get into right now, so let's jump in. On Sunday, January 12th, it was announced that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI had co-authored a book on priestly celibacy with Cardinal Robert Serra. This book argued against the ordination of married men, which is a possibility that Francis currently has under consideration at the request of the bishops of the Amazon region. Uh, The announcement of the book was a surprise to the Vatican, and many journalists expressed shock that the former pope would weigh in on a topic that the current pope is considering. Yesterday, on Monday the 13th, the Latin American press broke the story that Pope Benedict may not have known he was being asked to co-author the book. Now, we're recording this on Tuesday morning, January the 14th, so the story is still developing. Jerry, this question of what Benedict understood or didn't understand about the book is really important. Um, But before we get into that, I want to go back to 2013. How, when Benedict resigned, did he understand what his role was going to be? What did he say that he was going to do in terms of speaking publicly as Pope Emeritus? Because he really, it was up to him to define this role. Yes, there were no ground rules when he resigned because it had been centuries before that the last Pope resigned. So he, he decided, one, that he would continue wearing white, that he would be called His Holiness, that he would keep the name Benedict, that he would live in the Vatican Gardens. Have we seen him speak publicly since then? Not really publicly. We've seen him speak. Uh, I think it was on one of his birthdays. Benedict himself decided that I will not speak. I will just go and pray and remain silent. Nobody asked him. He decided. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Uh, Francis has tried to include him in the family, and he's brought him into a number of events. When Francis makes new cardinals, he always takes them to see Benedict. The two of them live within five minutes' walk of each other. So they're next-door neighbors. Uh, And you have a steady procession of people visiting Benedict, just as you have visiting Francis. For example, Cardinal Sarah was a frequent visitor to Benedict. Um, This isn't, we should say, the first time that Benedict has written something um, in recent years. He wrote that article last year for a German magazine where he tied the sexual abuse crisis to the sexual liberation movement of the 60s. And it's not even the first time that we've heard him speak on a topic that Francis is also publicly addressing at the same time, right? In 2016, during the Jubilee Year of Mercy, Benedict gave an interview uh, about mercy. So, Jerry, let's talk about the questions that arose, and we'll go step by step through how this all unfolded. Uh, You wrote in your original piece on Sunday when this book was announced that 
first, it caught the Vatican by surprise, but also that there were serious questions being raised right away about Benedict's ability to write a book. Um, You said that your source said he had difficulty carrying on conversations for more than 15 minutes and that he's no longer physically able to write. So what information do we have now about how Benedict understood his role in this book and and what he wrote? Well, what we now know for certain is Benedict never thought that he was writing a book with Cardinal Sarah. And that's according to whom? Because we should say that we haven't actually heard straight from Benedict's mouth yet. We do have it straight from Benedict now, insofar as his private secretary this morning said that Benedict has made clear that he was not, he never considered himself the co-author of the book, and that he wanted his name removed as the co-author. So Benedict was very clear, and yesterday I had the information from a source very close to Benedict that he, he said he was not the co-author, that he he never had intended writing a book with somebody. He he offered a contribution which he had been working on when Cardinal Sarah told him, I am working on a book. Somebody had told Sarah that uh, Benedict had worked on some piece on the priesthood. And so Sarah said, eh, why don't you give it to me? And then Sarah said, it's very good. Can I include it? And Benedict said, yes. And that's how it happened. Cardinal Sarah tweeted some letters last night uh, that were supposed to be between him and Benedict. Uh, Can you sum up for us what those said? Well, those letters basically confirmed the fact that Benedict made available to Sarah the 20-page text that he had been working on, and he said, you use it as you want. What the Cardinal seemed to suggest, and which is not, in fact, true, is that there was an understanding that they were co-authoring the book. In fact, the only part of the book, there are four chapters, rather, there's an introduction, there are two main chapters, and there's a conclusion. The only part that uh, Benedict has written is the, the one chapter. Cardinal Sarah wrote the introduction, he wrote the conclusion, and he wrote the other chapter. But both men's names are on both the introduction and the conclusion. Yes, and Benedict specifically asked today for his name also to be removed from the introduction and the conclusion. This morning early, Archbishop Ganschwein went to Cardinal Sarah and told him, Benedict XVI wants you to ask the editors of the book to remove my name, Benedict XVI, from the cover as the co-author. He wants you also to remove my name as the co-author of the introduction and of the conclusion, because they were both signed. Uh, Cardinal Sarah didn't seem quite to have got the message. And around noon today, he came out and said, Benedict saw everything. I gave him the full text. He saw the cover and uh, he, he agreed with the contents. Right. He said this in a very formal statement. And then it was after this that that Ganschwein released his statement. After that, Ganschwein decided to come out publicly. He spoke to the German Catholic News Agency and to the Italian Catholic News Agency and told exactly, Benedict XVI has asked the Cardinal to ask the publishers to remove his name as co-author and to remove his name from the introduction and the conclusion. 
As of midday Tuesday, it's unclear whether the French or American publishers will remove Benedict's name from the introduction and conclusion, or whether they're simply going to change the cover to list him as a contributor rather than a co-author, which was what Cardinal Sarah tweeted would happen this morning. So my question, I guess, here is Benedict's contribution is dated September of 2019, and it says he had written a lot of it before, but his conversations with Cardinal Sarah had convinced him to finish it, to get it into a final form. But I'm wondering, you know, the the release of this, while Francis has this question of possibly ordaining mature married men in the Amazon region to the priesthood, um, I'm wondering what do you think is driving Cardinal Sarah here to to release this book at this time? Well, that's a question that you'd have to ask Cardinal Sarah. I've written to him. I've not had an answer. He has had links with the publisher in Paris, Diet, a Fayard publisher. And the timing disturbed many people in the Vatican. There were people who were also very favorable to Sarah. But one Vatican senior, very senior Vatican official, told me, look, I was alarmed when I saw this book coming out under the co-authorship of Benedict XVI and Cardinal Sarah. He said, I found it very disturbing. Several others have said the same. It was as if you were somehow a parallel magisterium was being developed. And that's not something that Benedict would actually be in favor of, right? Benedict is nearly 93 years old. He will be 93 in April. He's very frail. He's in a wheelchair. He has great difficulty talking. Somebody who spoke to him a year ago told me, I had to have Archbishop Ganschwein interpret for me what Benedict was saying. He can write his signature. If you look on the letters that Sarah has published, you see a real little squiggle of a signature of Benedict. Yeah, it's very small. Uh, Benedict has physical difficulty, and one understands. It's no criticism, absolutely not highest respect for the man. His mind is very clear, but, uh, you know, this is the progress of age. And so I I think uh, it shocked many people, and many people raised the question, Are people using Benedict XVI to support agendas that they themselves have in which they distance themselves from Pope Francis and his magisterium? It's also important for us to point out here that Cardinal Sarah was at the Amazon Synod where this question was being discussed, and he spoke at that synod. He clearly disagrees with the potential um, for opening the priesthood to mature married men in the Amazon. Yes, he, he gave a talk at the end of one day, and it was a very strong, very uncompromising talk, and that, that was his right, but it, there was silence in the room when he finished speaking. And next morning, uh, several bishops from Brazil came in and responded to him very strongly. That's fine, because that's part of the pro- synodal process. Each one speaks from the heart what they really feel. Right, they want it to be an open dialogue. But uh, what happened before the synod was Cardinal Ouellette, who is the prefect of the Congregation of Bishops, published a book in defense of celibacy and obviously not in favor of opening up. And now, on the eve of Pope Francis's publishing of the exhortation, that's the final document of the Synod summing up its conclusion, this book comes out. And it seems like another effort to impact what will be decided by the Pope. And this has not gone down well. I I, I think in some ways this book has been a boomerang. What do you mean? Well, it's been a boomerang because, first of all, Benedict 
did not co-author it with Cardinal Sara, as was publicly stated and originally presented in, in the Le Figaro in France, the daily paper on Sunday evening, Monday morning. Well, and in the text itself. Secondly, it's a boomerang that it raises many questions. Why? Why now? Why in this way? And who is really pushing the agenda? Benedict wasn't pushing to publish a book. Cardinal Sara was, but was, was Cardinal Sara being pushed? And if so, by whom? And for what purpose? There are many unanswered questions, and I think we will return to this issue in, in, in some weeks, I suspect. Nobody here in Rome thinks this story has ended. No, um, and it's possible that we'll see more developments even between our recording and the release of this episode. You know, whether or not it was the intention to kind of push an agenda on the part of Benedict or Cardinal Sarah or goodness knows who else, um, whether or not that was the intention, it's, it's certainly being read that way. I want us to take a step back and look at the argument that's at the heart of Pope Benedict's chapter. I know there's still this question about whether or not he was physically able to write it. From my reading, it, I, I think it sounds a lot like him. Um, but I read it yesterday, and in it, Benedict says that celibacy is necessary for the priesthood. It's a necessary requirement to be a priest. He says it's it doesn't seem possible to hold both the vocation of marriage and the vocation of priesthood at the same time. Um, this was a little confusing to me because Benedict was the pope who probably did the most to introduce married priests uh, in the Roman rite, at least. He was the one who allowed for converts from the Anglican church who were married, who were ordained in that church, to be accepted as Catholic priests. So there are married priests, and it's, it's thanks to Benedict. I, I don't know, what, what do you make of this argument? First of all, one who is a great admirer, a great friend of Benedict, Archbishop Shikluna, Charles Shikluna of Malta, who worked side by side with Benedict for many years, said that he, he was surprised on reading the text because the Vatican II, in its teaching, in its document on the priesthood, makes very clear priesthood and celibacy, while they are they go together, one is not essential. Right. I have the tweet from Shakluna here. He's, he quotes Vatican II and he says, This holy synod, while it commends ecclesiastical celibacy, in no way intends to alter that different discipline which legitimately flourishes in the Eastern churches. Yeah. The, the second point I'd like to make is that in the history of the church, you've always had married priests and you have it in the Eastern Rite tradition. Thirdly, you have married priests, as you mentioned earlier, in the Anglican priests who have come over to the Catholic Church and married more than 200 of them in Britain, and also a number in the United States. And one cannot say they're second-class priests. They are married, and they are priests, and they're living both vocations fully. So it's surprising that the text seems to overlook this fact and just focus on priesthood and celibacy as indispensable to each other. Right. Benedict briefly mentions uh, bishops in the Eastern Church being celibate, but that's that's the only nod that any of these special situations get, which is an interesting thing that, that's been overlooked. Yeah, the bishops are celibate, but not the priests. Many of the priests are not. Uh, so some th theologians have, have raised this question as whether 
really is reflecting the teaching of Vatican II. And nobody's very keen to criticize Benedict's theology since he's a great theologian. But he's at a certain stage in life and maybe he's reflecting on one aspect rather than another. I, I don't know. I'm not in a position to comment on that. Um, Jerry, I want to get back to this question um, that you raised at the beginning of our recording, which was about the role of a Pope Emeritus. Um, this book raised a big question about that. And I was wondering if, you know, for an outside listener who maybe wasn't following all of these developments or is, you know, struggling to follow them, why is this so significant? Well, in the Catholic Church, in the tradition, you have one Pope, not two. Uh, when Archbishop Ganschwein suggested some years back that effectively you had a more active and a more passive Pope, he didn't put it that way, but uh, he was suggesting there were two different dimensions to the papacy, and Benedict was one of them and Francis was another. And Francis came back on a plane, I remember very clearly, and he says, there is one Pope, and Benedict is the grandfather in the church. Now, it's very important for the Catholic faithful that there is one center of authority. And I think some have used the fact that there is an emeritus pope in a way that tries to almost contrast the direction taken by Pope Francis. This is very unfortunate, and I certainly think Benedict doesn't want this. But the fact that people continue to do it, and uh, I, I know that some people have gone to Benedict and he had to push their own agenda and he has more or less sent them, told them, go away. I was told this. Uh, but it's very important for the future. Supposing tomorrow Francis resigned, and I don't think he's going to resign, you would have Benedict resigned, Emeritus Pope, Francis Emeritus Pope, and then you'd have a new Pope. Now, if both Francis and Benedict started commenting on events that were happening and issues that the new pope was facing, you would have a very confused situation in the church. And this is why many cardinals and bishops, I've heard some tell me directly, we need, really need to address this situation. Because in the future, you could have one or maybe two emeritus popes. We need to have ground rules where everybody understands what is expected of them if they resign from being a pope. Whose job is it? Who, who would be able to speak authoritatively on what that role of Pope Emeritus is supposed to look like? Well, they would obviously set up a, a commission of the canon law. And then in the final, in the final instances, it would be the pope who, who would sign off on it. Yeah, we should make clear that there aren't any plans actually to uh, set up such a commission yet, but that's just that's how it would work if this was something they wanted to do. And the issue has been discussed in the Council of Cardinal Advisors that the Pope has. But uh, several people, and even today I've seen some articles in the paper from diplomats, canon lawyers, who are saying that it's time that we took this issue on board. I think it's very important to say one thing here, Colleen, before we conclude that there is no evidence that Benedict has signed a contract with any of the publishing houses. Right, which would be required of a co-author in most cases. It is normally required, but this hasn't happened. I was told definitively that the, this hasn't happened. And normally it is the Vatican publishing house which deals with this. 
and the money from Benedict uh, that would come from Benedict's writings would go to the Benedict Foundation. But that would all be agreed on with a contract. So there is no evidence to date that Benedict has signed a contract as a co-author in either France or in, in the US, or in Italy for that matter. There is a lot still to be figured out here. We're expecting there to be probably more developments, more comments coming out in the coming hours and days. Um, and there's also still the big question of how this may impact Francis and ultimately what the decision is going to be on possibly ordaining mature married men to the priesthood in the Amazon region. We will keep you updated on all of that here on Inside the Vatican. Uh, Jerry, we'll chat with you next week, okay? I look forward very much to that, and good evening to your listeners from Rome. All right, we'll, we'll talk to you then. Thank you. One last thing before we go. If you're enjoying Inside the Vatican, maybe you've learned something new, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way for us to get the word out about the show. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Loeshirt Studio in New York City. This week's episode was produced by Sebastian Gomes. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week. Curious what the idea of co-responsibility for the Church's being and acting might mean for both the laity and ordained? Join us for an academic and pastoral conference at Notre Dame this March, March 4th to 6th, to explore this idea further. For more details and a complete list of speakers, visit mcgrath.nd.edu slash co-responsible.